Blog Talk Radio. Tom Marquis El Presidente. It's time to kick this ship off. The USS The Balance. We do this thing every Saturday morning, uh, coast to coast, if you will. And, and you know what? I I, I monitor our, our listeners. We we have listeners all over the world. Notice we had some listeners in Guam. Appreciate you listening to us wherever you're at. My name is Tom Marquis El Presidente. Nine one seven eighty nine eight five. One six is our digits, and uh, today, well, we're going to talk a little bit about everything, uh, but we're certainly going to be uh, touching on the Daytona 500 last week. Uh, it's really at, because the rain got started late on Monday. Uh, thrilling, thrilling finish. Uh, congratulations to Denny Hamlin winning, uh, but also a very tragic wreck with with uh, Ryan Newman. We thought the worst. We thought the worst, and thank God that didn't happen. Uh, and and, our, and we're so glad that that we're able to talk about something positive about that. But uh, we'll get into all of the characteristics of that wreck and and um, a lot of things around that. But uh, with uh, Steve Wilson later on in the show in the second half of the segment uh, segment of the show. But coming up, standing by in the balance green room is Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. We're going to continue our uh, funny car season, IndyCar uh, funny season, uh, and then we'll love uh, We're not too far away from uh, uh, kicking off out in St. Pete. We know now, we do know now where uh, James Hinchcliffe, will be going and we'll talk about that a lot of things going on in the uh, indycar world also matthew hicks joins us as well we always love having him on we're going to put on the uh, homework card a little bit talking about the the combine talking about the colts talking about the pacers and then us at the bottom of the hour mo from the bs sports show is not going to be able to join us today he has the flu i think it's the, the coronavirus but i'm not sure but uh <laughs> kidding, kidding. But uh, uh, Seth Alwaliff joins us. Uh, a, he's actually a college student now at the University of Arizona, but he's also a uh, uh, contributor to the Kokomo Tribune. And he's going to be joining us and talking about the Combine, the Pacers, and just uh, continue on with our conversations all around about sports. So here. Yeah. Seth is filling in for Mo today. My name is Tom Marquis, L. President Day, 917-889-8516. Stick around. It's about to get good. Tonight, I just want to take you away. Slow down, 
National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. I can't believe it. I've been playing 4 on 4 with a barbershop quartet. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Morning face. You get is when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Things off 917-889-8516 is our digit destroying this now. Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, our official contributor, IndyCar contributor. Matthew, how is you, sir? Well, we get fresh news every week. Uh, I'd say that's uh, every week, man. 
That's why they call it the funny season. And we'll get into all of that here in just a moment. But we, you know what? We have a big announcement or, or whatever. It's already been made public. But, man, finally, finally we know. And we'll give credit to you and I both mutually because we both kind of figured out by process of elimination where this is going to happen. James Hinscliffe has arrived for the Indianapolis 500. Talk to us about that. Ready Auto Sport, a team that he's qualified in the front row for the Indy 500 for twice. Uh, of course, start replaced uh, Danica Patrick. In fact, uh, wore the uh, Danica wig, and people were calling him Manica at one point. Had his most success <laughs> with uh, them, concerned, and uh, this is a good pairing at a perfect time. And not only will he be at the Indy 500, he'll also be at the IndyCar Grand Prix and also the Texas 600. Over, of course, though, he does not have a ride yet for his home race in Toronto, and he says that is his target is still to find a ride with someone for that event. Well, let's talk about that for just a moment. Uh, moment. We know James. James is a good friend of the show. Uh, James is a good driver, but he's had his challenges. But let's just say he does – let's say he has a top ten finish in all three of those races. Does, does Michael say, hey, all right, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and let you hang around for a while? Well, it'll be very curious to see because uh, obviously Ryan Hunter-Ray is getting up there and has not been competitive. You know Rossi's not going anywhere. And then obviously the family ties. Marco Andre's going to stay put. Maybe a replacement for Zach Beach if he doesn't get things going because I don't think Colton Hurst going to go anywhere either. So maybe he replaces Hunter-Ray. Maybe he replaces Beach. We'll see. Well, I, I tell you what, it's exciting. I'm so glad, uh, you know, that he was able to get a ride for the Indianapolis 500, the Grand Prix, and uh, Texas. And we'll see what happens, and we'll be rooting for him. Hopefully, everything come, comes together for him. But we've also got some other uh, big news uh, in the IndyCar funny season. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of our, our listeners, a lot of our fans may, uh, may remember um, – uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Robbie Buell. I, I, I knew his last name was Buell, yeah. but for, for the life of me, I was just like, what are brain fart? Uh, he's coming back not as a driver because to, to quote you and to quote you, to quote his quote, uh, that he's too blind to drive. But Robbie Buell uh, returns to IndyCar as an owner. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, obviously, uh, 56 years of age, uh, you know, he hasn't driven at Indy since 2003, so you knew that was probably too good to be true there. Of course, the uh, one-time co-founder of Racing for Kids, a very big organization uh, for children with uh, debilitating diseases. He has paired up with an entry for hopefully the IndyCar Grand Prix and the Indy 500 with the Citroen family. Of course, if that name sounds familiar, they are the major minority owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers NFL team. Uh, I'd have to say with the lateness of this and with all the Chevys, this has got to be a Honda-backed entry. But, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh ties, there's one group, though, that comes to mind of where they might get their support from. Who else do you know of in the Indy Craddock that's from Pittsburgh? Well, uh, the Andretti's are from Nazareth. That's not Pittsburgh, but they're, that's Pennsylvania. Uh, Chip Ganaski. That's oh, that's right. Chip Ganaski is from Pittsburgh. Yes. So I would not. You know, we're so used to him being located. Hey, we're so used to him being headquartered here in Indianapolis that you you, you forget that he's actually from Pittsburgh. Go right ahead. Yeah. So 
They've talked. Mike Hall's talked about possibilities before. And uh, this might be the situation where they would support this uh, new uh, entity. Question is, I don't know what they would get as far as a driver. This could be maybe a Pippa Man seat, possibly, since Klaus Marshall appears to be out of play. This also could be for uh, Spencer Piggin. It's hard to believe that a guy that qualified in the front row for last year's Indy 500 is really not in a picture for a ride right now. That's you know we we always see questions like that. We we ask ourselves why, but is this about money? Is that the reason why that that might not be without a ride? Without uh, yeah, no question. That's why he lost the ride to VK uh, with uh, Ed Carpenter Racing, and that's why he's kind of been quiet. Is the money is just not there? Now, granted, I don't know how much money he'd have to fork over to possibly get this seat, depending on how much uh, Chip and Mike are asking for from Citroen Buell. But uh, I would say if they're looking at drivers right now, and most of the big drivers have not mentioned uh, any contact with Citroen Buell, uh, I'd have to say it may be one of those two. Interesting. Well, let's talk about another one of our drivers that we'd love to talk about, just because just because, and that's Fernando Alonso. Gives us a little hint at Indy, but uh, where do you think that might be at? It's going to be a reunification with McLaren, uh, a chance for them both to redeem themselves after last year's qualifying debacle where they failed to make the show, and they may not be alone in that. Uh, remember, this is a team that's running two rookies, Pato Award, Oliver Askew. There's also rumors going around that Sebastian Bourdais, who will be part of one of the drivers of the 14, but not Indianapolis for A.J. Foyt. Uh, there could be a possible reunification between him and his former team boss and uh, chief engineer uh, Craig Hampson for an Indy 500 run. So we could be talking as many as four cars, potentially for Aero McLaren Schmidt-Peterson. Again, everything would have to go perfectly. But uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this could become from a two-car full-time team to a four-car team uh, for the Indy 500. That'll be interesting, and we'll see what happens. I'd like to see Fernando uh, uh, back at the Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway. I really would like to see him. I think it would be a, a fan favorite to be a full-time IndyCar driver. Certainly uh, some dominoes have to fall to make that happen, but but hopefully that that it, that it, that it can happen. Let's talk a little bit. About last week's Daytona 500, we'll get more of this in the next hour. Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest. But let's talk about the Daytona 500. Uh, great win uh, for Denny Hamlin, and nothing to take away from that. But uh, uh, Ryan Newman uh, really, really escaped death. I think he knows that, realizes that. We've seen this. This isn't anything new that we've seen at the Daytona 500. Kind of weird or spooky that it falls on the 13th anniversary of the death of Dale Sr. Uh, but uh, the a lot of credits being given to the cage or the or the pit, if you will, uh, of the race car uh, that has been redesigned so much over the years uh, since Dale Senior's passing, and that actually saved uh, Ryan Newman's life. As as we know, uh, at the last lap, he had a had a wreck, hit the wall, began to flip, and then LaJoy comes and hits him right smack dab in the head, if you will. And uh, it just didn't look good. It just didn't look good. It was so scary. And, you know, I had a lot of friends down there. Steve was down there. And, and it, you know, the thing about it is they were, they were putting the black screens up. 
they had a stretcher by the car. They were telling the media to get out of the pits. They were moving fans back away from the pits. Indications, all signs that uh, this was not going to end well, but it did end well. And he's out of the hospital now. Amazingly, he walked out of the hospital with his $2. What a great picture that was. So this is a, a story with a happy ending. And another great part of this is Ryan Newman had a really, uh, we all know that Ryan Newman went to Purdue, has an engineering degree. Uh, Ryan had a big part in designing the new pit or cage or cockpit, if you will, of the of the current uh, NASCAR uh, uh, car that they use. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about this uh, Daytona 500, how it ended? And just uh, the story about Ryan Newman, of course, Indiana guy well, not, uh, from South Bend, actually. That, yeah, a lot of things that NASCAR's necessarily done, I haven't been thrilled with. But the fact that they put the driver in a more centralized position in the car, I think, really saved Ryan Newman because he took a devastating shot on what would have been the driver's side from Corey LaJoy, and that would have probably caused massive injuries had the seat of the driver been where it was when the Earnhardt crash happened and uh, thankfully that was not the case he uh, absorbed a lot of the impact and uh, thankfully um, he is you know going to be able to make a full recovery but I just am not sure if we're going to be seeing uh, Ryan Newman much more in the cockpit at age 42 I think uh, this might be the scare to keep him out and uh, they've got an able set of hands. Ross Chastain, one of the up-and-coming uh, prospects. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think a lot of people say a lot of future for this guy. He'll be in the sixth this weekend, Vegas. So uh, I don't know, but uh, maybe this will be the one where we see where Ryan Newman says, you know, just like Rick Mears did a few years ago when back in 92 when he had that flip saying, I don't need this. You know, well, I hate we to saw, say we that, saw. but it would not surprise me if he said, you know, enough's enough, I'm done. Yeah, you know, and you're right, and, and, and there comes a time, and he, he's already a team owner, and he's already very successful in his charities and not-for-profits, so him walking away from the car, he's not walking away from the race, he's always going to be a part of the race, and Ryan Newman is, a, I've, I've followed him for many, many years, and I've, I've talked to him, I've got a chance to know him, I like Ryan, and he's a good guy, he's a good-hearted guy, I know he's a totally separate issue, but he totally, he, he uh, recently uh, separating from his wife. He's got his two daughters. I mean, we, we saw the same thing with Dario Franchini uh, when he had that horrific wreck in Texas. And I mean, really bad. He, he came really close to being paralyzed. And so it's hard to get back into a car, especially after you've been racing for so many years. And you look at some of the other precious things in your life, like your kids and other things that you've got going on that you're thinking, you know, I've made my impact on the sport, and I can continue to make my impact on the sport. But So, yeah, I think you're right. We're probably seeing uh, the end of Ryan Newman as a driver, but uh, certainly his impact uh, as an owner, as a mentor, as a, um, as a not-for-profit leader. Uh, Ryan Newman is always going to be a, a leader, a part of the sport. And it was a, it was a scary, scary thing there for, uh, you know, just wow. And uh, so, so glad that – that he's uh, feeling better, and uh, well, at least he's he's out of the hospital now. So, it was that was the that was a great uh, 
end of that story as we thought that that it that it, uh, that it may not. Uh, NBC Sports has revealed its uh, its uh, schedule for 2020. Obviously, uh, for the Indianapolis 500 and the Grand, I mean the Grand Prix, uh, a total of eight IndyCar races. What do we know about NBC and NBC Sports and IndyCar? Obviously, they made a major commitment, and I think that's a part of the thing you could say where, you know, the car count is getting in there because the revenue from that and the fact they're going to be on national TV more and the ability to attract sponsorship, I think, is helping things a great deal. And I think that's what uh, when Robbie Buell announced Citroen Buell, he said the timing is right to do it. So, I mean, the scenarios are good right now. We're still, you know, two years away from a brand new uh, car design and possibly a new engine partner. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see how things go. But uh, certainly, uh, Jay Fry and uh, company are ticking off the right boxes uh, right now. And I mean, some of it has to do with Roger Penske, obviously now having a controlling interest now. But I think uh, the way Nat IndyCar is going with the moves they have made, even before the Penske move. I think is starting to attract attention, and uh, who knows? Maybe that's not the last uh, brand-new team we see here in the next few months. Maybe a few new teams uh, looking ahead to 2021 coming to play as well. Well, I'll tell you what, also in the funny season as well, uh, we all know the uh, Australian racing legend Dick Johnson uh, is about to lose his uh, uh, his star protege, if you will, or star student, and that's Scott McLaughlin, a 26-year-old New Zealander, uh, and uh, also mentored by our, our the Iceman Scott Dixon is playing a, a kind of a role in this. Looks like Scott McLaughlin set it over to the NTT data, uh, Indy, NTT uh, IndyCar series as soon as next year, 2021. Yeah, that looks like the deal, and uh, it may be just more than IndyCar Grand Prix this year. There could be uh, some more events, possibly as many as seven or eight more, possibly a run on an oval. Uh, it's not going to include the Indy 500 because Penske's already only committed to four, and he's not going to commit an extra car. He's already... Uh, been adamant about that, as has Tim Sindrick, that they're not going to provide any more cars than they currently have. But, uh, yeah, the big question is right now, is this going to become a four-car team next year, or is it going to stay at three? And then, of course, if it stays at three, who's going to be the odd man out? And, unfortunately, as we have said, uh, it looks like Simon Pagano, if indeed we stay at three, could be a man without a ride uh, with Penske in 2021. Yeah, and, and we'll see how, the, how how all that plays out. You were talking about it a little bit. Let's go. Let's go back to Pippa Man. Um, Pippa Man, I, I like Pippa Man. She's actually been on the show before. She's uh, she's a good interview. She's a good talk. She's a good driver. But uh, do we look at her as, as? Don't we just kind of look at her? Is it? It kind of feels like. It seems like we just look at Pippa Man. Now. I want to say this carefully because I don't want to come out wrong, but we kind of look at her as a, as a great not-for-profit pitch moment, if you will. She's great on the track. She's great to get a sponsorship for the Indianapolis 500. But is she really a – she's a good driver, but is she really anything more than a name and a face on the track? Does that make sense? I'll say solid driver. I won't say great driver, and I won't say good driver. She is solid. She will get the job done for you, and she is capable of putting cars in the show as she did last year. Now, is she going to be a driver that's going to be capable of winning races? 
Probably not. Uh, is she going to be a driver that's capable of, you know, consistent top 10 finishes? If she were ever to get more races, probably not. But she has a solid set of hands. And if indeed uh, Citroen Buell Autosport is looking for a veteran driver, that would probably be a decent pickup for them, considering they're in such late position of the game at this point of silly season and considering now we're just less than 100 days from the Indy 500. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, she's, she's a solid driver. I just, I mean, she's, she's great. She could get you some sponsors and she's obviously did a great job with her, her charities, but we'll, we'll see what happens with her. Real quickly, I, I think maybe we touched on this a little bit last week, but let's touch on it again this week. Roger Pinsky, uh, owner of uh, IndyCar and the, um, uh, IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has announced that recently that there's an increase in the purse, which is the first time that's happened in, in several years. And we're also going to see an increase in speed. So let, let's talk a little bit about some of the changes we'll see at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway after the ownership of Roger Pinsky. Well, the question is, though, how is that going to be altered with the aero screen? I don't think it's going to be altered as much as people think where that's going to be a drop in speed, because I think the streamline of it is better than I think some people are giving credit. And add to that, I think during the test, I don't think speed was necessarily the ultimate target. I think getting uh, consistency out of the package was getting there, and they'll figure it out. And I think with the open test, uh, like I said, uh, we could be talking maybe getting to Scott Dixon's 232 average that put pole uh, for him uh, three years ago maybe in play, and maybe as much as a 229 it's going to take just to make the field. And, uh, again, it's going to be some lofty targets. But, uh, again, we were talking a speed increase anyway with the brand-new engine package, so it's not necessarily uh, a surprise situation. It's just maybe coming a little earlier than uh, we would have thought it would have at this point. Well, a $2 million increase is a, is a pretty big increase uh, in in the purse. And, you know, Robin Miller has talked about this many times. Like, you know, what this is the Indianapolis 500. We've got to have a purse that's more than what it is. So Roger Pinsky heard that. What are some of the other things that we think might be happening? Would, do we think that we might see lights in the future? Uh, for Obviously, that would, be, that would come in. It would never happen with the Indianapolis 500, but it would certainly, I'm certain, would come into play uh, with the Brickyard 400 if it manages to stay around. And that's the other thing. I mean, does NASCAR and Pinsky, I mean, NASCAR and Pinsky certainly have a great relationship everybody knows nascar and pinsky and nascar i mean an indycar and pinsky so roger pinsky has a great working relationship with both leagues but is is there a decision to be made do we continue on with the brickyard 400 indianapolis we hope that they do certainly have fans here in the indianapolis area but as a business decision if you're roger pinsky do you continue this race uh with nascar that seems to be falling but uh now with Pinsky being the owner, maybe he has a way to turn that around and get butts and seats in the NASCAR race. I think if they cannot draw over a hundred thousand, at least for the NASCAR race, I think you could be seeing it on its last legs. Cause that the ultimate thing is how many people are you getting through the gates. And right now that event is just not drawing. Now, granted, of course that was influenced a couple of years ago by the bad weather and having it delayed all the way, I think to Monday or Tuesday, I believe. But uh, ultimately, uh, yeah, you got to get the interest back going and uh, drawing a more competitive race than these, uh, you know, front-running gambits that we have seen the last several years. 
and uh, that just uh, just doesn't attract the fans. Uh, I think you talk about other things as well, maybe being a little more harsher about blocking, I think would be another thing, maybe to encourage more passing because the blocking has been fierce on these restarts, and maybe that would allow for more overtaking. I don't know what the case, the result would be, but uh, I think there's uh, certain ways they need to go to. Instead of just saying they're going to go to it, they need to look into it and make, you know, test it out and see how it would work. I think one thing, after, especially after the exits at Daytona, is I think they need to be a little bit more cognizant, NASCAR is, just like IndyCar is, about enforcing blocking. I think that's another game control. Because it's getting out of control. I mean, these win-at-all-cost things was kind of set in stone when Austin Dillon won the Daytona 500 a couple of years ago. They did nothing after he took out Almarola. And I think you just saw that, and the hash continued. Well, you know, they could drive as aggressively as they want. They're not going to get penalized. And I think that's why you saw the aggression there at the end of the race that eventually led to the Newman crash is uh, NASCAR, the drivers just think they are invincible right now. And until, you know, the circuit, sets them straight that there are certain parameters you have to race under. Uh, we're going to keep seeing these kind of accidents at the end of races, especially at Daytona and Talladega, unfortunately. Matthew uh, Hicks joins us here in just a moment here. we got him in the, in the, in the balance screen room. Uh, uh, too, too many Matthews. Uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor to WSVT up at Southland. Matthew, we appreciate you joining us and jumping on and talking some IndyCar uh, funny season. Do you want to, you want to stick around for a little bit or do you got to go? I'll give um, away to my good buddy, uh, Mr. Hicks. And uh, don't forget, uh, we don't have much sports uh, today, but we do have on our sister station, Z94.3, Notre Dame Hockey, trying to complete a series sweep at Michigan at the Yost Ice Arena against the Wolverines. Now, granted, Michigan's not one of the strongest teams that they used to be, but still, you're able to steal two wins, uh, one of the toughest places to play, Yost Ice Arena. You gladly take it. So uh, we'll see what Jeff Jack. Boys can do uh, here again. The coverage on uh, Z94 3 gets underway at 3:45 with my good buddy Darren Pritchett, and uh, hopefully we see another win for the Irish Icers. There you go. Where can people find your work at Masterpieces, uh, Matt? M A T E M B U R Y on Twitter. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. Have yourself a good weekend. Anytime, Tom. Matthew Embry, our uh, official IndyCar contributor, talking some IndyCar funny season. We know now, we now know it's official where James Hinchcliffe will land for the Indianapolis 500, the Grand Prix in Texas, and that's in trading. So we talked a little bit about that, talked a little bit about uh, the Daytona 500 and Ryan Newman. But right around the corner, uh, helping us play the homer card is Matthew Hicks. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Yeah. Shoot the J. J. Shoot the J. 
Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're one my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA. Love your home. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, jumping on board with us, talking IndyCar, funny season, and and, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the Daytona uh, 500 and Ryan Newman. We'll get into more of that in the next hour uh, with Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. We're going to break that down and and, uh, just talk a little bit more uh, about that wreck with uh, Ryan Newman, but joining us now is Matt Matthew Hicks. Too many Matthews today, man. Matt Hicks, <laughs> Matthew Hicks, Matt Hicks, one or the other, uh, are all around good guy. Uh, local media here in Indianapolis can help us play the homework card and, and break some things down to us. How is you, sir? Great. How are you doing? Fantastic, man. I tell you what, the sun's out, uh, but the temperature's still down. Still freaking cold out there, but hey. We're inching yeah. ever closer to to uh, warm weather. We hope here uh, that that road it either saw a shadow or didn't see a shadow. But apparently, whatever he saw, we're not supposed to have a long winter. I mean, that's that's all I remember. On it. Matthew, let's get let's let's kind of jump right into this, and we'll put on the homework card. But not necessarily just yeah. with with Indianapolis. I know we're a nationwide thing, but it's a, certainly a, a a topic that's being talked about across the nation. That's the Indianapolis Colts, and one of the things that's been a a a, a favorite. Uh, uh, flavor of the Pizzero popsicle. How many looks does it take to get to the center? How many more quarterbacks are we going to talk about to come to Indianapolis? Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about Derek Carr. We had uh, we had Philip Rivers. Uh, we had, we're keeping Jacoby Brissett. We're going to we're going to draft. Let's talk about the Indianapolis Colts combine opens up next week. Um, 
the underwear Olympics, as we like to call it. Uh, but <laughs> so where are we at? If you if you're if you're hanging out with Frank Ballard and and, and I mean I'm sorry, not if you're hanging out with uh, you could, Ballard you and, and yeah. And, my name's screwed up. I know the last name, Ballard, Reich, and Ursay. Uh, yeah. What, what what are we talking about? Let's. I mean, let's 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 well, let's peel back the layers of this onion. What are we really looking at here? We we talked about this sort of thing with general managers uh, before, but this mm-hmm. is big boy time. This is when you know when you hear like a general manager gets paid what they get paid. This is why, because this offseason will likely, uh, maybe this is hyperbole, maybe it's not, but this offseason will likely define Chris Ballard's tenure with the Colts, right? Uh, Because Mm -hmm. they're going to make a decision here to go after a veteran quarterback or not, draft a quarterback or not, or kick the can down the road, stick with Brissett for another year, and then maybe make a decision next offseason. And these are all decisions that are very hard because they all have consequences. The the veteran quarterback market may not be this good if you think it's good next offseason. The draft can turn on a dime because let's be honest, the Colts don't have a bad enough roster to get Trevor Lawrence. Let's just just be real about that. That's not going to happen. They're not going to lose 13 games next season with Brissett or with – Hoyer or, or whoever plays court, they're they're gonna they're gonna fall into at least six wins, I would think. With with almost I mean, you know, let's not like be crazy, but if if they stick with Brissett or or a reasonable facsimile thereof, they're gonna fall into six wins. So the idea that they're gonna wind up with number one or number two overall next offseason is is I think not possible. So let's throw that out. Next offseason, the draft for quarterbacks outside of Lawrence may be robust. It may be light. It's a little early, at least from my standpoint, to make any decisions there. And then we've seen this happen before, too. You get another year of tape on Lawrence and things. Well, maybe he's not the next great thing. I think he kind of is, but, but perhaps that's another thing, too. So there's just so much to dissect here from the quarterback position. And, and – there may not be a wrong answer, but there might be an answer that gets you closer to where you want to be um, quicker. And I think that's the path that they're going to take. And and I don't know what that is. I don't think any of us do. I think we can speculate with what he's done in the past, but even then that leads you down some question marks. Okay. They, they want to build, through the draft, right? I mean, that's obvious. Yet they bring in Justin Houston on a two-year deal. Do they bring in Phillip Rivers on a two-year deal to give them more time to get a quarterback? I think that's possible. If Derek Carr's available, let's see, first off, if he really is, because Gruden likes to, like, just hoard quarterbacks. Yes. But if Derek Carr is truly available, I think that's a guy that you can win with. I really believe that. Uh, I, I think he's a guy that in the right system, with the right things around him, you can do a lot of good things with. Um, That, to me, would be somebody worth mortgaging some future for. But, again, Ballard, I think, puts a different value on these draft choices than most general managers. So I don't know that that's 
you know, to, to the fan, the guy that's sitting at home, that makes perfect sense. But it may not make any sense to him to give up what you might – I mean, what, would, would it be a second and a fifth-round pick? That might be too rich for Ballard's blood. I don't know. We also don't know what they think of Jordan Love. And I think that's the big wild card. We, we hear some people say, yeah, he's a, he's a project, but he's a, he's a first-round project. No, he's a third-round pick, you know. So that's, that's the wild card in this, too. I, it sounds like the three quarterbacks that you would consider consensus first-round picks are all going to be gone. Uh, Burrow, of course, Tua, and uh, Hebert from Oregon. So it doesn't sound like any of them are going to fall to 13 where the Colts pick. So, you know, it, they have not – this group has not shown a propensity to move up in the draft. But I also think you can't rule that out. You know, if, if, if Tua slips a little bit and they feel good about his medical reports and they feel like he's a guy that's a franchise quarterback, could they package some things and move up and get it? I mean, there, there's just a myriad of possibilities. And, and boy, it's, it's, it's going to be as – and we say this almost every offseason. But, but with, you know, with the luck retirement coming so late, um, it's going to be really interesting, isn't it? It definitely is. And, you, you know, you talked about big boy time with the general managers. I mean, uh, how does how does uh, Ballard uh, keep from making the mistakes that the the uh, trash can fire, the train wreck of, of, of Brixton uh, made prior to him? How does he not make those mistakes? Let me give you. Four names here. If you're Frank Ballard, uh, who, 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 who do you go with? Uh, you've got, uh, you've got uh, uh, Philip Rivers, Jordan Love, mm-hmm. Matthew Stafford, mm-hmm. or Derek Carr. Those are four mm-hmm. names that yeah. you have on your menu. Who do you pick from? Well, I tell you, if the, the, what, would, what would give me the, the break the tie between Stafford and Carr for me is the price of admission, right? I like Stafford a lot. I think he's just been in a trash can situation in Detroit. Um, mm-hmm. And I should, that's not fair. Cause when Caldwell was there, they were, they were fine. They were, you know, they needed, they needed some weapons, but that was not, you know, that, that was a borderline playoff team. I think they made the playoffs once uh, with Caldwell. So, um, but I think he's a quarterback you can win with. And I think Derek Carr is too. I mean, let's not forget he's, he's been on successful teams in Oakland. So I, I think, again, what does it cost to get them? You know, if, if you really believe Brady's going to leave New England, which I don't, I think he's going to stay. I think he's either going to play there or he's going to retire. I, I just don't see him playing in another uniform. Yeah, I've, I agree with that. have seen it before, but I just don't, I don't think he's going to. Um, if Carr is truly expendable, how long do you wait before the price goes down? Does it go down to like a – fifth round pick I, I mean if that's the case oh my goodness what a steal um but with Stafford I think that's a different situation it I I have a feeling and just from reading national stories and different things I have a feeling they're going to take two at three and let him get completely healthy let him learn the NFL behind Stafford Stafford mm-hmm. has, to be fair, been injury prone. So you, you've got a situation where Tua could get some snaps if there's injury. But I think they might go the Mahomes route with him and let him sit for a year or maybe even two before they throw him to the wolves. 
So I, I, I don't believe myself that Stafford's going to actually be available. Maybe he will. Um, Carr is one that I think is possible because if they do truly bring in Rivers or, if you believe reports, Brady, um, they're not going to want to keep a guy like Carr on the Everybody, rock. Brady's you know, going that, that, to every team. Didn't you know that? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I know. Right. I mean, listen, I don't know what he's got left, but I'll tell you right now, and it, it would just never happen. But if, if he was here, I'm one of the people that I think what a story that would be. I think that it would is just it would be phenomenal. I think, but well, it would be it would be a hard pill for diehard uh, Colts fans to to swallow. But you know, here here's the thing, and I get off in the weeds here a little bit. But here's the thing: we just assume that Tom Brady's going to be as magnificent with any other team that he's always been with the New England Patriots. But the right. the, the makeup is 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 completely. Different. The, the team structure is complete. If he was to come here, we we still have. Even though we've got a great wide receiver, uh, T. Y. Hilton, and we've got some other, we still have issues. On, on, we have a lot of gaps to fill that New England doesn't necessarily have to fill. Speaking of of, uh, of wide receivers, uh, there, there's a rumor out there that Nelson Algar from the Eagles and uh, Ed Pratt, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, who typically joins us for NFL talk is not going to be able to join us today. He will be in town for the NFL combine. Uh, but uh, he thinks that's a very real possibility because he's not coming back to the Eagles. They, they know that pretty much a, a solid fact. And, and uh, he, he says that it's a pretty good, a pretty good sign that Nelson Aguilar will come to the uh, Colts, which is good because we need somebody to fill in that gap that, that T.Y. Hilton, when he's on his game, he's on his game. But when he's not, God, he's not. Well, what the Colts need, and, and he's a fine player, Aguilar. I, I like him. The Colts need what they thought they were going to get in Devin Funches. Uh, they need a big physical wide receiver that's a possession receiver, and they need that desperately. I don't know that that's Aguilar. I, I, I mean, you know, um, and I don't know that it's, it's not one of those two guys that you've heard about them connected with in the draft. Um, but boy, you're right. They need a, they need a legit uh, second wide receiver that's going to take over the the right side of the field um, because that's what they're missing on offense. They have I think the Colts have more tight ends than anyone in football. It's I mean they don't have a George Kittle. They don't have a uh, you know Gronkowski, but they've got solid play at the tight end position. When Hilton is healthy, he he's one of the top. Well, let's let's let, at least top ten, maybe top five wide receivers in football. They need a legit second wide receiver to allow the other wide receivers that they have that have come forward to to play in the slot. And occasionally, when they're really good, is when they can occasionally move Hilton around all over the field. And that's when things happen, right? I mean, that's when the big plays happen, when they can slide him over to the slot or, you know, big Ben left, big Ben right, and have a stack and, and run some legal pick plays. I mean, that's when, that's when the good things happen for this team. The offensive line, I still think needs some help. I, I'm, I'm on the, I feel like I'm on the outside on this. I would like to see the right side of that offensive line uh, restructured a little bit. 
I think they could use another, and let's assume that Costanzo's coming back, right? I mean, I think hopefully he is. Yeah, I think they fingers crossed, right? Little, <laughs> yeah, right, right. I think they could. I think they could use a little adjustment on that right side. I thought there was some vulnerability there, especially as the season progressed. And I'm not smart enough to know if that's because Brissett was holding onto the ball too long, or I don't know that stuff. I just, I just saw that the right side he got sacked a lot from the right side. I think Braden Smith, if he was able to move into guard, and then they were to, able to figure out a different situation at right tackle, I think that would make that great offensive line, and they're great. Uh, be even better. So, I mean, that offense, I feel like that offense is close. I feel like the defense isn't terribly far away either. I think they just need to keep adding pieces and parts to it. And and you have a team that, you know, outside of, and I hate to bash on Brissett because I don't know how injured he was. And I, I just, you know, listen, the, the play speaks for itself. I mean, right? I mean, you, you, they lost a lot of games down the stretch and it seemed to be because of the quarterback. Now, maybe that's being too simplistic. But, um I think that, that I, I'm, I'm kind of buying into the earth say that team is close to being at least a playoff team. If not, maybe even a, a team that can make a little two or three game run in the playoffs. Let's talk a little bit about AC. If he does retire, which we hope he does not. And he's got to make that decision relatively soon. You would think uh, for all aspects for himself and for the organization. So they know what they're doing. But let's just uh, play the devil's advocate here. And he says, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's my time. What does the Colts do to fill that, that gap? Because if Anthony goes, well, they've got an immediate, more urgent than the quarterback situation to, to fill. You know, and you're, you're, that might be the, the linchpin of the offseason. Again, we, we, we're, we don't know. This decision might have already been made for all we know. We don't know the, how these things work. Because um, uh, we, we know the Colts are always upfront and honest with us at all times, right? Well, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't think, I, you know, there aren't many teams that are. So I don't get too sure. down on them for that. I think, I think at times they've been their own worst enemy in that regard. But – but to, to be fair to them, it's not like, you know, uh, Oakland's coming out and saying, oh, well, no, actually, this is what we're going to do when we move to Vegas. I mean, everybody is, is sure. it's gamesmanship, right. right? So I, I, get, I get it. I get it. Um, but I, I think what they've got, they've got the ability to at least address the situation. They have all the cap space that they could need. They have three picks in the top what is it? The three picks in the top 45 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something like um, that. So yeah. You can go one of two. Yeah, I mean, you know, speaking of Eagles, Jason Peters is available. Uh, we mm-hmm. think, we think he'll be a free agent. So that's a guy that you could bring in on a short term and, and, and help someone along um, through the draft to, to take that left tackle role. Um, there might be others that I'm not aware of that are available. And there's always trades. Uh, that, that's not the typical route to replace people in the NFL, but it's, possible um and then the the draft is is i think uh it's a draft that's deep in a lot of positions and i and i think defensive and offensive line it seems to be that from what you read at least that it's a deep draft in those positions so I, i i mean listen it would i think make everyone feel just a lot better if costanzo came back and and gave it a few more years but if he's not in it anymore i think the same thing with luck you know, if luck was done, then he's done. You don't want a guy that's done playing. That's when disaster happens. So hopefully he's still got the, the fire and the, the want to play. But if he doesn't, 
it, it would, I think, change the offseason, but I don't know that it, I don't know that it like 100% completely derails it either. You know, we got the NFL Combine coming here to Indianapolis. Uh, hopefully, uh, still many more years to come, but we don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of rumors that they'll be moving out to L.A., but for the moment, they're going to be here in Indianapolis. And, and when the Combine drives, draws near, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, you know, but this is a job interview for the players in the, in the, in the combine. Uh, but also uh, during this time of the year, we begin to talk about some of the other things that are going on with the league is some of the things that are going on is uh, a possible uh, 17 game. That's not going to happen in 2021, but it could happen by 23, 25, because I mean, it really it, it comes down to money. That's the only reason that, that they're doing this. Uh, let's let's not fool ourselves. It's not for the fans. Let's, let's not be naive here. Uh, it's for the big TV contracts that are coming their way. They're going to have to get that ironed out before they say yay or nay. And and the uh, and the and the players' associations isn't going to like it unless they start getting paid as well. So that brings us to the uh, CBA vote uh, to uh, said to be done. And Adam Scheffner says the NFL playoff structure is about to be changed under the current CBA proposal. Seven teams from each conference will make the playoffs with only with only uh, by one by per conference, and that's uh, per Adam Scheffner, and we know that he knows all. So what are your thoughts about that, the CBA, the 17 games, uh, in the, just the overall uh, business part of the NFL as it stands now? Well, it's, 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 there's a lot of – things to unpack here, right? I've, and I've read, I'm not completely read on the whole thing, but from what I have read, I found some interesting things that stand out to me. One, and I'm not going to remember where I read what, so forgive me for, for that. Fire. Steve, no need a source. Stealing from others. Is, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right. There you go. Fair uh, enough. Uh, full upfront stealing, stealing from others here. According to I read source, one article that, that voice says. According yeah, right, to right, source. right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, read, I read one article that was interesting to me, and I, and I, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was... Uh, kind of stating that this might be an interesting negotiation because players are now a little more aware of how short their careers are and they don't want to have a work stoppage. And alongside that idea of not wanting to have a work stoppage, um, they're in a situation now where there's another league right now. And I don't know, I, 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 I don't know where, what those players are, are as far as being protected from going to the NFL. But my guess is not very much. I bet those players are allowed to jump to the NFL if, uh, especially if there's a work stoppage. So I don't know from a leverage standpoint and from a unity standpoint, how much resistance there's going to be to some of this. Now, that being said, the play, the owners have appeared to put forth a very um, tantalizing proposal from a financial standpoint. Hey, you agree to one more game and one more playoff game. Um, here we go. You know, you're going to get essentially $5 billion. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> that's hard. I'm listen. That's hard to say no to, uh, but you're going to add a game on a neutral site, uh, which I think is, uh, okay, we'll see. You know, every team will play a neutral site game. Um, that's interesting to me uh, because you can't, you cannot have a, a New England with nine home games. Uh, that yeah, would, just, would, it, would, it, it, would it be fun? 
Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Wouldn't it be fun for all uh, every NFL, non-NFL city, let me put it that way, non-NFL city to have the opportunity to have an NFL game? Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, I'm just throwing out. I'm just throwing out towns. Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, Columbus, uh, Ohio. Uh, yeah, I mean Columbus, Ohio. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Towns that maybe have uh, big arenas for college football. Wouldn't it be fun to have that to be the the, the neutral site as opposed to, well, the neutral site is somewhere within the proximity of, of, of like the Colts neutral site might be at Purdue or IU. That's not really a neutral site. Let's, let's go the Colts well, and the Titans but, but and they play in neutral site. Yeah. And they, and they play in, uh, yeah, they play in Lexington or something like that. Now that could yes, be cool. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I think that would give an opportunity um, no, for a lot some, of fans that maybe don't normally have the opportunity to go to a game to go to a game, if they're going to do it that way. Yeah, because, because, because to your point, this is not about gate, right? I mean, this is about TV money. This is mm-hmm. about them being able to say, we are giving you an extra week of programming. Um, well, extra, essentially extra two weeks. Well, not two weeks, but they're getting extra games because the idea is that only one team would get the buy by adding another wild card, a third wild card. So only the top seed in each conference would be on the bye. So you'd have, you know, uh, two, seven, three, uh, six, and, and four, five playing on that first weekend in each conference. So, I mean, you would you'd have six games as opposed to four. Um, you know, two solid days of, of football, which I'm sure they'd be thrilled about. And then – the, 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 the whenever your neutral site game would be, and I, I assume they'd spread those out throughout the season, you could still sell tickets, and, and maybe you would only have a 35,000-seat stadium or 50,000-seat stadium, but obviously it's going to garner the same ratings that every week of football does. I mean, imagine if, for example, the, the Colts and the Bears played in South Bend. or. Mm-hmm. Or, or you mean like West at Notre Lafayette. Dame's team? Yeah. Mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, or, or, or at ross Aid. I mean, I, I think there's some interesting potential there, but I think there is a big group of players in a, in a group of, uh, it sounds like, with listening like Richard Sherman and others, uh, there's, there's some um, well-respected players that really are against the idea of a 17-game 17, 17 season. And it, 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 perhaps, perhaps it's a non-starter. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, this is going to play out. They're going to vote, what, today and tomorrow? Is that how this works, mm-hmm. I think? I think so, and yeah. It's widely expected. Yeah, it was widely expected it's going to be voted down. Um, so let's see if they if they counter or if they don't counter. Um, I, I, I don't know quite how this will play out. But I know they'd like to get something done in the next few weeks. Um, so we, we'll see. It'll be interesting. Absolutely. We've been talking with Matthew Hicks. Matthew, appreciate you joining us. We're getting ready to jump into some NASCAR talk with C. Wilson from Speedway Digest. Real quickly, uh, it's kind of a tease or a segue into that. Let's talk about the Daytona 500 as a as a, as yeah. a closing chapter. We're wrapping up, put a bowl in it. Day, Daytona 500, really a, a good race. It's always a good race, and it extended over to Monday. Uh, great uh, great uh, win for Denny, but man, what a scary end there with Ryan Newman. And mm. We all I think all of us uh, thought the worst because we've been there, done this yeah. before. And the yeah. ironic thing about it is the, the cockpit or the cage that the drivers were in. A lot of people don't know this, but Ryan Newman has an engineering degree from Purdue. He took part in designing this new cage. Just a total ironic thing. 
that new cage literally saved his life. But man, uh, Steve Wilson is going to be on with us next. Was down in Daytona, you know, and, and they were putting up the black screens. They were moving the media out of the pits. They were moving the fans away man. from the the fence. Everything pointing to this was another tragic and it was on the 13th basically the 13th anniversary of dale senior losing dying on the exact same uh last lap of the daytona 500 how scary was that what are your thoughts real quickly well it 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 does remind you of well listen i mean it reminds you a lot of when we lost dan well um you're absolutely right about that not so much because i was i was pretty young when when dale earnhardt i mean relatively young let's put it that way um, I, I was i was an adult but didn't feel like one don't feel like one now uh but uh, i you know i was i was living in Terre Haute when when dealer Hart passed and th- this reminded me a lot of when we lost dan weldon and uh, it, it brought up a lot of memories and and um of that day uh when they were in vegas and uh, yeah i i i feared the worst i thought we had we had seen another fatal accident um and I, you know, I gotta say, I, I think NASCAR has kind of gotten unfairly some unfair criticism uh, throughout this entire thing. Um, Denny Hamlin had just won the biggest race of the year. He was pretty well unaware of what was going on behind him, and I don't think he deserves any criticism for the celebration because you could tell when he found out something was wrong, it was rained yeah. in considerably. Yeah, um, I mean, you, you know, listen, um, you don't know what's going on, so you still have to take the trophy. And he said, I think he said everything he was supposed to say, like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. I'm you know, worried about Ryan. and hope he's okay. Um, and, and I don't think um, uh, Blaney, um, Ryan Blaney deserves any criticism. He was doing what they all do. He gave him a push. It didn't quite lock in correctly, and it, he got him sideways. I think this is, you know, I hate to sound like this, but it was one of them deals, one of them racing deals. And, and uh, you know, I just think NASCAR got a lot of unfair criticism the, the last week uh, because of how things transpired. And I think they'll learn from it, and I think they will be a little more communicative in the future. God forbid something like this ever happens again um, where there's a, a serious, serious, Hey, we we can't get this guy out of his car. Like, hey, maybe no donuts right now. Okay, got it. Denny Hamlin would have not done that. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. I don't know Denny Hamlin, but he I seems like a type of guy that would be like, okay, did drive, you know. So I think there was some unfair criticism uh, to NASCAR. They did they did as best they could with the situation they were in. Um, but boy, you're right. I, I feared the absolute worst. I mean, I thought we had seen a fatal accident, and I was so relieved later that night to hear that. You know, hey, he's in he's in rough shape, but he's gonna be okay. It's like, oh my god, and, that's, and, that's and wonderful. And he's out of the hospital. Matthew Hicks uh, joins us yeah. playing the Homer card with us. Uh, Matthew being a part of the local media here in Indianapolis for a long time. Matthew, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, uh, I know you're on Twitter. Is that the best place where people can find your masterpieces, sir? That that is it right now. You know, free agency is uh, interesting. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, something uh, pans yeah, out no, for I'm you, buddy. Not, well, no, it's okay. You know, um, self, um, how do they say, self-induced free agency. So that's okay. There, you know, there that's, you go. that's the best kind. There you go. Um, no worries. Uh, no, yeah, HicksM05, H-I-C-K-S-M05 on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, I, I occasionally uh, send my musings out for the interwebs <laughs> to read. 
<laughs> well, I can't pay you the million dollars that you're worth, but you're always welcome here on the show, Matthew. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Matt Hicks, uh, certainly been a part of the local media here in Indianapolis for a long time, helping us play the homework card. Uh, and we're talking about the Colts and the quarterback situation, the combine and, and in that and all of that going on. And I appreciate his input uh, there uh, with uh, Denny. I mean, with Denny Hamlin, yell and uh, Ryan Newman in the uh, Daytona 500. We're going to get into a lot more detail of that coming up next with uh, um Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest standing by in our green room. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. 917-889-8516 is our digits. We're going to get into this uh, Daytona 500 talking in NASCARs in Vegas as well. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. you get is when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're one my eyes. We're moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. I can't believe it. I've been playing 4 on 4 with a barbershop quartet. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. There is renewed attention today on NASCAR's safety measures after that scary crash on the final lap at Daytona, which sent driver Ryan Newman tumbling through the air. Newman is expected to survive, in part due to changes made after another crash at Daytona 19 years ago. Manuel Bajorquez reports from Florida's Daytona International Speedway on those measures. There's so many areas on this car, and not hardly any of it can you look at that safety hasn't been thought of. Andy Petrie has lived and breathed racing since 1981. Everywhere you can see where a car could possibly hit is, uh, is protected. Yesterday, he showed us a series of features NASCAR has installed over several decades that he believes helped keep Ryan Newman alive at Daytona from padded doors. This is a crush zone, so it absorbs energy when something hits the side. To window nets. If anything happens in a crash, it keeps the arms and things from coming out. But To stiff carbon fiber seats. It can stand a lot of impact. Crash into the wall, into the air goes Newman. As spectacular as it was, we still expect our drivers to be able to get out and you know, shake it off. Petrie was the crew chief for the late racing legend Dale Earnhardt Sr. for two years in the 90s. Earnhardt's 2001 death on the same Daytona track sparked a safety revolution, including requiring all drivers to use an upgraded seatbelt and harness system. When you have an impact, it keeps your head from going you know, over-traveling and, and causing bigger injuries. Drivers must also wear fire-retardant racing suits, and new, more crash-absorbent walls have replaced concrete around the perimeter of nearly every track. And if you think about it, race 200 miles an hour, 
side by side. You can flip up in the air, and, and 99 times out of 100, these guys are getting out of the car and walking away. But, you know, this time it didn't happen. Petrie's company helped build a new generation of sports car that will be used by every driver starting next February. But a local sports columnist told me that he believes speed restrictions on the race here at Daytona keep drivers clustered too close together, and that could remain a problem. Anthony? All right, Manny, still remarkable Ryan Newman made it out of that crash. And welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marcusell, President Day, One Hour in the Books. Uh, thank you, Matthew Embry of uh, WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Uh, we now know where, where uh, James Hinslecliffe is going to be at for the Indianapolis 500, the Grand Prix, and Texas. And that is with Andretti and certainly a lot of the, the funny season talk there. And thank you, Matthew Hick, for joining us to talk the Homer card with the Colts combine is some some input on the daytona 500 but to break this down from last week and we go into vegas but man we got a lot still hovering over our head and i wanted to make sure we got steve on for this steve i know you were in the airport or plane or on your way home maybe at the end of this race because i know you weren't actually at the race because of, of, of the day pushback but but steve let's talk about this and i know i text you numerous times i, I we just thought the worst happened uh, with Ryan Newman. Let's walk through this. What, what have we been able to unpack? And again, like I said, we, a lot of people don't know this, but he has an engineering degree from Purdue. Um, he helped design this cockpit or this cage or whatever it's called, uh, the, the new one that they're using with the new cars. And a lot of people think that that's what saved his life. Uh, Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Let's break this down. The Daytona 500 2020. More not more importantly, they came out wrong, but more so, let's talk about Ryan Newman and, and, and how things happened there. Uh, I think it's a combination of a couple different things that helped save him. Um, uh, we, first thing is, I think we go back and, you know, there's there's different bars that have been added over the years, different roll bars into that to help support the, the greenhouse and around the, the driver themselves. Um, uh, the petty bar, which uh, helps keep the roof from caving in, the Earnhardt bar, which back during um, his time, uh, a car came directly through the windshield into the cockpit of the car. So they added the bar in between the uh, uh, down the center line of the windshield, and then the Newman bar, uh, which is a on is a secondary bar that runs atop. Um, the greenhouse um, along the the vertical line of of the windshield up top, so it double it double supports the the uh, the the greenhouse and the the uh, the roof from caving in. Uh, so you know there's there's been multiple innovations over the years that have uh, you know probably helped him uh, as well as uh, you know you look at crush panels, the the carbon fiber seats with now the custom ins molded insert into it, the Hans device. Um, there's just so many different innovations that, uh, you know, I think probably contributed to, you know, him ultimately walking away uh, a couple of days later. But, you know, obviously it could have been worse than it was. Well, it was. And I tell you what, I was I was glued to the TV. I, I appreciate the coverage that they – that uh, I believe it was Fox or I think it was Fox, but whoever was covering it. We were very, very careful not to say anything, pushing the audience one way or the other. And 
did their interviews with Denny Hamlin, and you heard Matthew talk a little bit about how he didn't know what was going on behind him, uh, maybe heard that there was a wreck, but nobody knew exactly the intensity of that that was going on. And, and I was obviously listening to it in my ears on MRN. I had them on, and they were very careful not to, to, to say anything. But when they act like that, and us experienced people in the media, and I think I texted you. I, I, of course, I didn't put this out there, but I texted you. I said, man, I think we've lost Ryan Newman. I'll be the first one to admit that. I, I thought that's what had happened because of the way they were going on. And, and of course, they put the black screens out. They pushed uh, fans back up in the stands. They got the media off the pits. There was a stretcher and an ambulance there at the at the crash scene. We saw the replay of LaJoy just basically hitting the head uh, for all intents and purposes. The, the driver's side, uh, as it was flipping and as it was, was rolling, and I saw interviews with LaJoy later on, said, this is the worst time of my life. And he obviously – it, it was. I think we attribute a lot of it to racing, but just the whole process of things and the emotions of things. The emo- I'm so glad that it, and he's out of the hospital. I mean, how good was that to see him walk out of the hospital uh, with his two daughters? All of that said, we've seen this happen before uh, in different races. Uh, Dario Fergini, you know, had that bad wreck in Texas, and we've seen bad wrecks create situations where they make other decisions about there. And I think that uh, we talked a little bit about this with Matthew Embry, maybe Ryan Newman's to the point of his career. He's already a car owner. He's already a mentor. He has his own, his non uh, uh, profit organization. It's no secret that he's separated from his wife. He's got his two daughters. You hate to say, is this a come to Jesus moment? Because all racers are always racers, but is this the time where, where Ryan Newman says, you know, life is too precious, and there's more to life than racing. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I always kind of thought that racers were kind of a different breed of of people. They're, they, you know, they go through True. these horrific accidents, and then they get right back into these cars and do it all over again. I mean, we've seen this, you know, we've seen Petty do it back in the day, but dying at a truck race that totally destroyed the truck and left nothing but the greenhouse around him. Austin Dillon about five years ago in the summer race where he tore the fence mm-hmm. down. Uh, yeah, ben I remember Kennedy that. At, uh, uh, at, at Kentucky one year tore, tore the fence down about three or four years ago. Uh, Larson has done it at, at Daytona himself um, in the Xfinity race about uh, about seven or about six, seven years ago, something like that. So, uh, I, you know, we can go through tons and tons of different examples of these these incidents, and you see these drivers get out, they walk away, they go to the hospital, they get themselves checked out, and then they get right back in the race car all over again. Uh, I've always thought that they're kind of like a different breed of person, to be honest with you, and uh, there's something that makes them tick that doesn't make some of the rest of us tick, and, you know, for, for a majority of the population, they would get out, walk away, and never do it again, but um, you know, these, these drivers that go out there and do this every single weekend, they know what they're putting on the line. And, uh, you know, we've seen incidents that, uh, look less severe than that, that turn out to be a whole lot worse, you know, overall. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, if it can happen in racing, it'll happen in racing. I don't think it really, um, you know, what Ryan does next, I'm not sure, but, Obviously, he's one tough customer to be uh, be able to go out there and do, you know, what he's done, and then walk out of the hospital. 
If you're Corey LaJoy, are you also evaluating – because you're caught up in the middle of that. Uh, do, you, do you think as a driver, do you think about the what-ifs? If you're Corey LaJoy and, and you're like – it's got caught up in it. I mean, it certainly, obviously, this was this was just a racing accident, but it's on the other side of the fence too, as well. What do, what do you think are some of the things that the the team is working with Lejoy, Lejoy's processing, obviously getting ready for the Vegas race, but on the other side of the of the of the coin, if you will, how's that get processed? Well, I think it's uh, something like. Honestly, you have to put out of your mind. Um, you can relive this 40, 50, 100 different ways, uh, and it could go in any number of ways. I think most famously, I think we have to think about um, back in the, uh, uh, you know, years ago, um, there was a driver, and it, it was made famous. There's, there's, a funny, there's a funny story behind this. Um there, there's a part in the movie Days of Thunder where, you know, they they telling you need to get out of the car, don't get back in the car, blah blah blah, so on. It was actually made it was actually uh, made famous um back in the eighties where this particular driver he actually did hear voices in his head telling him to get out of a race car, get out of a race car, you're gonna die, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he goes, parks the car, doesn't get back in a race car. Years later, goes, runs a late model race at Hickory, North Carolina, gets in a car, suffers a massive heart attack, and everybody says, well, they, uh, you know, the voices in your head told you to get out of the car, you know, you know, years before. So, you know, I think drivers, you know, and, and I kind of equate that to the fact of, you know, it's relevant in the fact that some, you, sometimes you have to put some of these things out of your head. Uh, these are race car drivers that go out there and they know what they're putting on the line every single day. They understand the inherent dangers of what exactly um, what exactly can occur in these cars. I mean, a lot of them throughout their careers have been in some sort of vicious wreck coming up, whether it's in late models at the local racetrack or in National Series racing like trucks, Xfinity, or Cup. And Again, I think I just circled back to, you know, race drivers are just a different breed of person in the fact that they're able to go out there and do what they do. Um, yes, they mourn. Yes, they have feeling. Yes, they yes they have to go over, may go over this tons and tons of times. But ultimately, at the end of the day, that I think if, you know, we if they're scared, then they should be getting out the race car because we don't want to endanger that particular driver and we don't want to endanger any drivers around them and you know I mean, it's not you know trying to act like you're big bad and tough but at the same time you also have to you know you have to be mentally focused to go out there and race these cars like they do inches away from one another you know at 200 miles an hour and I think it's just really just the fact of uh, you know, Paula Joy has probably gone over this dozens of times, and Blaney has also gone over this dozens of times. So, you know, they have to take solace in the fact that ultimately, at the end of the day, um, Brian Newman walked out of that hospital. And you know, we, you know, you do, you go back and look at the Dale senior wreck. <coughs> mm-hmm. Excuse me, um, Jim Nemechek and others. Uh, you know, they, you know, they. Uh, they they felt bad for what they you know the cause of the accident out there in Daytona in 2001, which uh, ultimately led to Dale Senior's death. You know they they relive this 
time and time again every year they come to Daytona, but Jay Nemechek gets back in the race car and does it all over again. So, you know, these drivers understand the inherent danger of what's going on and, um, you know, uh, uh, while they, they're thoughtful to, to the aspect of it, they're, they're also mindful of, again, as to how dangerous this sport really is. We're talking with Steve Wilson, the Speedway Digest. Steve, I appreciate you joining us and talking about the Daytona 500. Uh, certainly not to take away from the great one that Denny Hamlin had two years in a row. I mean, it's what a fantastic uh, win that was for Denny Hamlin. We're, they're back in Vegas. We're, we're back in the car. We're moving on to uh, the, the Pennzoil 400 this weekend. Uh, last night was was the truck races, and I there's a guy who's never won a race before, wins a race, kidding, Kyle Busch continues to dominate the truck series i think i think every other truck driver wants him just to be an owner don't they <laughs> yeah his win last night goes it was a streak of seven straight wins in the truck series um, going all the way back to pocono in 2018 so every race that he's been in and the truck series since then he's won the he's won it so uh, he's got four more races coming up over the next uh about 10 weeks or so and I look to him to probably go back out there and continue to do what Kyle Busch does and yeah he did he dominated that race so you know Sheldon Creed at one point did well actually more than one time actually uh, a couple different times Sheldon Creed uh, put on a show with uh, Kyle Busch trying to keep him uh, from the lead or ran him down from the lead you know several different times and, and took the lead away a couple times from him so yeah, those two did put on a show, but ultimately Kyle Busch just doing Kyle Busch things. Well, today, this afternoon, uh, 4 o'clock is the Boyd, uh, 4 o'clock Eastern, I guess that is, uh, is the uh, uh, Boyd Game 300, the Xfinity Series. Uh, what a, Give us a breakdown of that uh, race, and, and then we'll get into the uh, Pennzoil 400 for tomorrow. I think, uh, you know, it's going to be a fun race. Uh, the the uh, the the neat part about this is, is that they're out in Vegas, so they get to do this uh, almost at high noon out there. So that track is going to be very slippery and very slick. Um, we, but it's also going to give them some fast speeds. I think we kind of equate it to the way that it works out in California, where these these you can get very very fast speeds, but also you're going to tear these tires up and. Um, slip and slide around the racetrack, which I wish we would have more at some of the other tracks out there where tires would just kind of grade and get some heat into them and then slip and slide around. But, um, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we, we're, we're early in the Xfinity Series season. I know Gregson won last week at Daytona for Junior Motorsports, and, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think we really have any clear, um, you know, who's going to be on top this year with the, the, the big three from last year now running in cups. So I think it opens the field up right now to a lot of different drivers uh, that are coming in, that are in the field from previous years and some newer drivers that are showed up this year. So um, right now we're just kind of wide open on uh, who's going to try and claim that, you know, those top couple of spots and we have to watch out for every week. We're talking with uh, Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Okay, in the Xfinity Series, you got Noah Gregson, as we just talked about, Justin Haley, uh, Harrison Burton, Brandon Jones, uh, Brandon Brown, Ryan Sieg, Michael Annette, Chase Briscoe, uh, Jeb Burton, and Ray Black Jr. all rounding out the top ten in the Xfinity Series. And uh, we see some domination there with the Chevy. Uh, what are your thoughts? 
Um, well, the reason why you see the domination with the Chevy is because they seem to be the most dominant manufacturer in that. Uh, you, know, you got Ford that only enters two cars in the Xfinity series at this point, and Toyota is even just about as limited to with uh, basically with a concentration around Joe Gibbs Racing. So, uh, really, honestly, I think the series could benefit from Ford or Toyota or even another manufacturer coming in there um, and trying to even out the field to some degree. And, uh, you know, we, I think Chevy will, will be dominant. I, I don't see any reason why they won't because, you know, they – or they do pour a lot of money into the Xfinity series with uh, Junior Motorsports and others that uh, uh, that are in the series currently. Richard Chose Racing is another uh, that that field Chevrolets that have been strong over the last couple of years with uh, Hemrick and uh, Reddick last year. And um, right now, that's you know the the dynamic that we have to work with, and hopefully, you know, these manufacturers will open up and bring some new teams on, or uh, you know, maybe just a whole new manufacturer will come into the series and invest into that, so we can balance the dynamic out to some degree. Well, we got the we're out in Las Vegas for the uh, uh, the Pennzoil 400 uh, tomorrow. Talk with us a bit about the 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 uh, field and and who's leading the the field the pole and talk a little bit about the track at Las Vegas. Well, I think this is where the real season begins. Last week is you know a super speedway, so uh, you know it's a, it's a different animal when you leave one of those places and some of the good drivers that 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 get knocked out in the super speedway race will come into places like Las Vegas and other places and be more consistent, more dominant uh, than than we see. Uh, so I think the real season really starts tomorrow. You know, a lot of drivers will say that, that the real season starts tomorrow. Um, Toyota seems to be slow yesterday in practice. They got a lot to pick up on for sure, which is kind of surprising because uh, the Kyle Bushes of the world and Martin Truex Juniors of the world have been uh, pretty dominant at these 1.5-mile racetracks. And uh, I, I think they have to pick up a little bit when it comes to uh, their speed on the chart. So that's what we'll probably be looking at to see what adjustments that they've made from yesterday to today when they get ready to go out there and qualify. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll look to see uh, what some of the other teams out there are doing at this point. And we, we, you know, the thing is that some of these this last year that we have of this car, so they can really play around with these cars more so than they have in the past, and you know try and go out there and get some wins. And you know when we do away with the car at the end of the year, some of the stuff really doesn't matter anymore because the news and the notes that they use to run these races are going to be essentially obsolete when we go to a new car, depending on how it all shakes out at the end of the day. So I think we'll just be looking at a lot of teams to go out there and. You know, we're looking long term throughout the season at these 1.5 mile racetracks, looking back to Vegas when they come back again, and just, you know, seeing what they can do to kind of tweak on these cars a little bit more so than we have in the past. Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Kevin Harvick, uh, Chris Butcher, uh, Ryan Newman, uh, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, and David Reagan, uh, Ricky Steinhouse Jr., and Eric Amadella. We know Ryan Newman is not going to be on the race to today, obviously, for obvious reasons. Uh, but as you look at that top ten, what are your thoughts? 
Uh, it's a rather diverse top ten at this moment. I think uh, we'll start to see again. You know, we're so close. We're so early to the beginning of the season that it's kind of hard to gauge what last week, the outcome of last week, will will go into this week in California, Phoenix, um, you know, Atlanta, and beyond. So uh, I think we need to get to the next couple of races and see where we're at. But um, you know, there you know for. I, I think we've got some teams out there that can have the potential to be strong. Uh, you know, for the number six team that this week is going to be driven by Ross Chastain. Chastain's a, a driver that uh, has, you know, paid his dues to, to get to this level. Uh, he was uh, sixth on the, funny enough, he was sixth on the charge yesterday in the number six. And I think he'll go out there and do good things for them. And, uh, we'll see how long he stays in this car, but otherwise, uh, I think, you know, honestly, I'm just really at the point that, you know, we're so close in this season and what happened last week, we've got to put behind us and get through the next mm-hmm. couple of weeks and, you know, see how, you know, the field starts to develop. I, you know, Joe Gibbs racing is, is strong, you know, even though that they were slow in their Toyotas yesterday. I think overall, long-term in this season, we're going to continue to see where, uh, they're going to be the dominant ones, and they won just about half the races last year. Will they win half of them again this year? I don't know, but I, but I do think that we're going to continue to talk about them almost every single week. We're going to talk about how many wins that they get, and then we're going to fill in some of the other people that are out there, maybe a Hendrick Motorsports driver, uh, Jimmy Johnson for one. Uh, he had a bad season last year, uh, didn't make it in, didn't do well in the playoffs, and, you know, it just struggled all year long. And with this being his final year, um, we'll have to watch his progression to see whether, you know, this is a repeat of, 2019 or whether he's going to make a legitimate run uh, at the championship for his eighth uh, title this year. And those things are going to be playing out over the next couple of weeks or so. We've been talking with Steve Wilson at Speedway Digest. I know we spent a lot of time talking about Ryan Newman and the Daytona 500. I appreciate uh, you doing that for us, uh, Steve. But so we'll, we'll get into more and bigger and better uh, talks about the, uh, racing and hopefully have a great race uh, today out in Las Vegas and tomorrow in Las Vegas as well. Any final thoughts or words of wisdom, sir? Um. I'm just, I'm actually kind of, I'm, I like the fact that NASCAR uh, made schedule changes this year to where we didn't go to Atlanta the week after Daytona. Uh, it's been notorious for weather over the last couple of years, uh, snow, rain, gold, et cetera. And it's just, it just made for bad, uh, a bad day all around for Atlanta. Uh, they struggled with it and, now with us going from Daytona out to the West Coast, running the West Coast swing, then coming back to Atlanta, and that'll give them more of an opportunity to have some better weather, and hopefully more people will show up to the race. So um, at that I'm I'm happy at NASCAR for making the changes, and uh, you know it's it's good for Atlanta, it's good for the fans, it's good for you know to see that NASCAR is willing to make changes where they need to make changes. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. Steve, where can people find your work masterpiece, sir? You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com, slash Speedway Digest, and SpeedwayDigest.com. All right, buddy. Have yourself a good uh, weekend and a good race weekend, sir. Okay, thanks a lot. Talk to you next week. 
Yep. Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of SpeedwayDigest.com, uh, breaking down the Daytona 500 and that incredible wreck uh, with uh, Ryan Newman. Thank God we've got some good news to talk about that because it didn't look good at the at the end. We'll be right back right here on the Ballast Radio Network. Grant Ostiff joins us. Today. We're going to be talking some Pacers, a little bit more homework card, and uh, Grant, uh, obviously student out in Arizona, but uh, also a uh, contrib- uh, contributor for the Kokomo Tribune and other uh, spots around uh, the World Wide Web. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. New York to L.A. We were teenage dreaming, frustrated, baby, come give me a kiss. Put me on the cover of the Rolling Stone, uptown, down home, American kids. Growing up in little pink houses, making out on living. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. I can't believe it. I've been playing 4 on 4 with a barbershop quartet. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Morning face. You get is when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA Sultan mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Welcome back to the final quarter of the balance. My name is Tom Microsoft Presidente, 917-889-8516 is our digits. Thank you to Matthew Embry, WSBTF in South Bend, uh, for joining us, our official IndyCar contributor, breaking down the IndyCar funny season. We do now know where James Hinscliffe will run for the Indy 500, the Grand Prix in Texas, and that's with Andretti. We'll see what happens after that, and we talked more about the funny season. Also, Matthew Hicks, local media guy here in Indianapolis, uh, helped us break down a little bit more about the Colts. 
uh, their quarterback situation, and, and so forth. And then just recently, uh, Steve Wilson, uh, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, breaking down uh, the Daytona 500 in that horrific wreck uh, with Ryan Newman in the, this week's uh, uh, race out in Las Vegas. But joining us now is a is a long-lost friend. The prodigal son has returned. Uh, Seth, <laughs> how are you, buddy? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I said Seth, but it's Grant. Grant Seth. Did I say that right? Uh, Yeah, it's Seth, but yeah, it's, that's close. Yeah, okay. We're just going to call you Grant, okay? And I appreciate you getting up. I know you're a college <laughs> student out there at Arizona, one of the Arizona schools, and so I know it's a little bit early for you, and being a college kid, I appreciate you, you joining us uh, today. I'm sure you're having much better weather than we are. Yeah, definitely. I, w- I would say a little bit better. I was just in Indianapolis <laughs> about like uh, a week ago and uh, a little bit better. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, let's, uh, you know, uh, I, I do want to get into this return of Victor Own Depot and that kind of the roller coaster ride that we're dealing with the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Pacers had a great win uh, against the New York Knicks uh, last night, 106 to 98. Talk with us a little bit about the Pacers and their stance in the in the in the East. Yeah, for sure. Uh, right now, it, it seems they're going to be locked into that uh, sixth spot in the the Eastern Conference standings because, um, you know, they're they're not able to go down and uh, they're not really able to go up either uh, because of that losing streak. Um, The Philadelphia 76ers could take a slide and then the Pacers could move to fifth, but that doesn't seem all that likely. And uh, because the Sixers, uh, I was just looking at this yesterday, uh, they play only – like nine teams that have a, a winning record uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, and uh, the Pacers have a bit of a harder schedule than them. So I think uh, they'll probably be in that sixth spot and then uh, likely face like the Boston Celtics again in the first round. So let's talk about Olin Depot. I mean, I, I guess here's the thing with the Pacer fans. I'm a Pacer fan. I'm wearing a Pacer shirt right now, as a matter of fact. I love the Pacers. I, they're, they're fun to watch, and, and they're a good team. And we had so much hopes and aspirations. And then uh, when we when we traded Paul George, we thought, what the heck are they doing over there in Oklahoma? Paul George didn't want to be here. But we brought home a homeboy, a homeboy being went to IU and back to Indiana, uh, in Victor Owen Depot, then he gets hurt, and then we have issues, and the, things just started kind of to, it, the cookie started to crumble, if you will. Then we get all excited about Victor Owen Depot coming back, but now he's restricted on minutes. We don't really know what's going on. Uh, give us the 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 backstory of Victor Owen Depot, the current story, and the future story, uh, if you could do all three of those, uh, uh, Grant. Yeah. So basically, um, you know. Heading into this season, uh, you know, the, the thought around the Pacers was, uh, you know, when Victor Aldipo gets back, uh, this team will be, you know, something special. And uh, so far, I think it's been more of a like a, a process for him to get back to where he was before, you know, that two-time all-star uh, level um, that he was uh, prior to the season. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's going to be an interesting balance between – trying to help him get back to where he once was while also not uh, allowing that to sort of sacrifice immediate results by, you know, running the offense more through guys like TJ Warren or Demonis Sabonis or, you know, guys like that, like, uh, 
you know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, the future as well, because his contract uh, is going to be up uh, after the uh, following season and uh, what the Pacers uh, decide to do and what Victor Aldipo decides to do, uh, you know, is still uh, to be determined. Um, You know, I think the biggest thing is, uh, you know, if they fail to reach a contract extension agreement, uh, you know, prior to the start of next season that I saw actually uh, Tim Bontemps of ESPN said that's something to monitor because there there's a non-zero percent chance that Indiana could look to move him if they fail to reach that agreement. Which is, would be disappointing if they do uh, move him because he uh, certainly um, is, is, is a fan favorite. We'd love to have him here. Let's talk about Miles Turner. Or do we have any hot takes for Miles Turner? Miles Turner is one of these guys where it's just like everybody's got one of those friends. You, 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 they're they're okay to hang out with, but there's always something. There's always something. There's always something with Miles Turner. I know. I know a lot of people like Miles Turner. I'm not a Miles Turner hater, but I just think that that come on, dude, just come on. Let's let's stop with the jackassery if we can use that word, jackassery. Miles Turner is the king of Jack Astry right now in the in the well, in the NBA, but certainly with the Pacers. I think the main thing is just that you know Nate McMillan likes to use more of a traditional like uh, style with his big men, and I mean honestly, with the original expectation that was uh, kind of given to him, it's a, it's difficult for him to meet it when uh, you know he's kind of more of a spot up guy at this point and I feel like uh he'd be better served playing a larger role as more of a pick and pop stretch five type of option in a more modern offense but it's just like it's tough for for both sides uh to really maximize that right now um with the system that they use and I also feel like um there there are some personnel on the team like uh, TJ Warren and Malcolm Brogdon that don't necessarily uh facilitate to the outside that much on uh you know, on their driving kicks, they're much better at, you know, dishing it to a roller like it's a bonus. And I feel like it's kind of just like an awkward, uh, you know, pairing uh, between uh, Turner and the Pacers. Pacers are on the road uh, tomorrow uh, up in Toronto against the Raptors. Uh, Give us a preview to what to look for on that uh, game, the Pacers and the Raptors. Yeah, I think that will be a very good test for the Pacers, Uh, you know, after that six-game losing streak. Uh, they they did defeat the Bucks, but that was obviously without Giannis Antetokounmpo, and that definitely diminishes the quality of a win there. And then the New York Knicks, uh, they traded their leading scorer, and, uh, Marcus Morris, recently, and uh, they're a terrible team. So that's tough to really put too much stock in as well. But a win against the Raptors on the road, um, that would be a very good sign, uh, you know, of a three-game winning streak, uh, you know, defeating one of the elite teams in the East and their building. I think that would really show um, – you know, that they're they're turning in the right direction at the very least. We're talking with Grant Ossif. Asif. I'm just gonna call it Grant, man. I'm sorry, bro. I'm bad with names. So don't, don't don't feel like you're an anomaly. I can't pronounce anybody's name. Unless your last name is Smith or something like that. But I, you know, I have a hard name last name to pronounce too. Uh but with Indiana sports coverage, Kokomo Tribune, obviously an up and coming sports writer in the college out there in Arizona, helping us walk around the NBA. Then we'll get over to the NFL because, of course, the Combine's going on. A lot to talk about with the Colts. We'll continue that conversation with you in just a minute. But let's talk – let's be real. In the East, the, I mean, the buck stops here. The buck stops in Milwaukee. I mean, there is – I mean, is there anybody – I mean, I mean, 
could we say, could we make the prediction that the that the Bucks are going to go all the way to the NBA uh, championship game? I definitely think it's it's the most likely scenario right now. I feel like um, uh, you know teams that had high expectations that really aren't meeting them, like the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers, uh, they were supposed to be a rival uh, to those uh, to that outcome, I should say, and uh, that's definitely not looking like it'll be the case. Um, I do think the Toronto Raptors have really, you know, strong coaching and creativity, and uh, uh, but I don't think they'll they would be able to defeat the Bucks in a playoff series, but they could challenge them. And the Boston Celtics are probably with the uh, amount of scores they have, they probably are the best uh, equipped challenger for the Bucks. But I I wouldn't really count on them uh being able to win in a playoff series they just don't have the rim protection to stop you know uh Giannis Antetokounmpo led offense uh you know with the all those shooters around there and um yeah it's just it's just tough to really see right now a, a team in the east being able to uh you know uh outmatch the the Bucks in a playoff series well, you uh, mentioned in, in, in one of your recent articles that Victor Owen Depot is very confident that he can get past the first round in the playoffs. The Pacers, I mean, can get past the first round in the playoffs. But, you know, we got the, the Sixers, the Heat, and the Celtics, and the Raptors, uh, as you just talked about, uh, all wanting to, to play that same game. What's, if, if, you're, if you're Nate McMillan, if you're the front office of the Pacers, if you're Owen Depot, if you're the leaders of the, of the Pacer team, how do you make that goal happen? How do you get past some really good teams to get past the first round of of the playoffs? I think the main uh, main sort of goal that would need to be met would, would it sounds kind of cliche, but there are times right now with uh, the way they run the offense where guys are just pounding the air out of the ball a little bit, and uh, you know Victor Oladipo is still finding himself as well. And he's going to have to sacrifice, uh, you know, before last night's game, he was taking like 0.49 shot, like field goal attempts per minute. Uh, and that was by far the highest on the team. And that that's just not something that uh, the Pacers really need for him while he's still trying to, you know, find himself. So I feel like really buying into moving the basketball would be the biggest attribute they uh, they really you know, could have heading into the playoffs to really maximize uh, their chances. Let's go out West. Uh, Obviously the Lakers, uh, I know this is an old story, but uh, not really old, but it's still just a story that that looms over the Lakers, but uh, the death of Kobe Bryant, let's talk about the death of Kobe Bryant for a moment. Didn't have a chance to have you on when that happened. I know that happened a few weeks ago, Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts about the passing to Kobe Bryant? And then we'll get into the West and the LA Lakers and the Nuggets and some other good stories out there in the West. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the the situation was uh was, you know, a terrible terrible uh uh you know, uh crash and all that stuff. And I think um the I think the the most interesting part of it is just the amount of people who've kind of like outpoured support uh, you know, for the, you know, Bryant's family and uh just showing what he meant to them was was really interesting to see because you don't really hear a lot of that. Uh, like those stories when someone is still alive and uh, you know, it was just, it seems like almost every day you still hear more stories of uh, you know, his impact. And I think, I think that's the, you know, sort of a really kind of interesting thing to think about, you know, like 
maybe maybe when people are still around, we should appreciate them a little bit more because mm-hmm. I feel like uh, the last few years, really the only topics a lot of people talked about were, you know, oh, LeBron's better than him. Oh, this player's better than him. And then not really appreciating the impact that he had. Well, certainly one of the last tweets that he sent out was toward uh, LeBron and LeBron uh, 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 cover, getting his re- breaking his record. I'm sorry, I have most uh, points scored. Sorry, uh, I had a brain fart there for a minute. There was one of, that was I think that may have been the very last tweet that he sent out uh, publicly. I'm not sure about that. But the Lakers, you always hear you always hear in situations like this across the, the thing. This one's for who? This one's for her. So this one, the Lakers are saying this win is for Kobe. And there were so many uh, uh, tributes across the NBA uh, to Kobe uh, as far as, uh, you know, the, the points and, and how they did things with the uh, NBA All-Stars. But the Lakers are number one in the West. Now, we, 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 we want to say, okay, well, they're just playing good basketball. But how much of this momentum going forward is this one for Kobe? I do think it's definitely an extra, you know, layer of motivation without a doubt. I think you, uh, you know, when you're already that high in the standings and you have that extra motivation, that definitely adds, you know, like that, that extra layer to it uh, whenever you're going out there and competing for sure. Well, there's another team out in the L.A., uh, area in the West is number three, and that's uh, the Clippers. And man, uh, we, we could have a we could have a freeway battle, if you will, uh, there an A one battle, whatever you want to call it, between the Lakers and the Clippers in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think the Clippers uh, heading into the season were already you know quite strong with their uh, you know superstar duo with uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and they already had, you know, strong supporting cast of role players, but, you know, they just added Marcus Morris. They keep, um, you know, they added Reggie Jackson as well. I think, you know, it's going to be very tough to stop uh, the Clippers with all of their, uh, you know, playmakers, um, you know, on their team. And it was interesting because the Lakers could have really used Reggie Jackson and I don't think the, the, the Clippers necessarily had the biggest need for him, and he kind of signed there because he's friends with Paul George. And uh, I I think that could end up hurting the, the Lakers a little bit because Rajon Rondo, you know, I, I feel like almost every time the Lakers play, I see a lot of people talking about on my Twitter timeline, like, please get Rondo off the court. So I think that acquisition could have uh, really helped uh, the Lakers. Grant, uh, we, we talk about the Pacers, and we, we certainly think that, that, that the Pacers can go deep into the playoffs and just kind of get some uh, things together. they got to start working a little bit more cohesively, and, and things have got to come together a little bit better. And they got to start doing it now. And this is uh, – we're past the All-Star, so now, now it's – not that the other games didn't count, but they really start to count now. The dark horse in the West is the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, I think they can definitely make an interesting uh, playoff series in the first round. The only uh, uh, tricky part for the Grizzlies will be just that they have to face such a good team uh, in the first round uh, that they probably won't be able to get past that round. But they'll at least show why you know they're such a team for the you know years to come as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's uh, move on over to the NFL. I know you. 
do a lot with the Indiana sports coverage. We'll talk a little bit about the Colts. Uh, it's kind of like a, a, a card game where you draw a card, lay a card down, draw a card, lay a card down. Let's talk about the quarterback situation with the Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, Jacoby Brissett uh, had a roller coaster season. There might be the Colts might really like Jacoby Brissett. They might go after the draft. There's one card. Drop it down. Pick it up. Another. Uh, cards in your hand would be Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, uh, Philip Rivers, or Jordan Love. Those are the other cards in your hand. Which ones do you discard? Who do you pick up? What do you do? I think um, some of the options that are you know really up there in age, like a Philip Rivers, uh, I, I just don't feel like that would be the best uh, option. Um, I know they have a very strong offensive line, but um, you know I, I think going for a more youthful option you know not necessarily have to be in the draft but at least like a younger veteran like um you know I do think the idea of a Derek Carr at Matthew Stafford is intriguing I feel like they're they played on teams where they really haven't had the best of pieces around them and having a really strong offensive line would certainly help especially Matthew Stafford because he gets beat up so much uh you know uh when he's in the pocket and I feel like um yeah, I just feel like you can really use your first round pick for another, you know, offensive weapon as well, like uh, you know, a CD Lamb or, you know, an option like that to add to having one of those quarterbacks. Well, and, and you know, here's the thing is we talked about a little bit earlier on the show with Matthew Hicks. This is when when general managers make their money. This is this is big boy time and it's not necessarily with the Colts where this is the time of year especially as you look at free agency, Babbler's not really been one to to play around in the free agency pool, but we'll see what happens. And maybe they, they do draft somebody uh, from uh, like a Jordan Love, or maybe they draft somebody from the draft and, and kind of put them in, in the back seat and let uh, Jacoby uh, out there a little bit. And then they've got somebody to, to move into. Maybe they do that as well. But one of, we've got a lot of gaps to put. Let's, let's table the quarterback situation. We know that's the most obvious and most one, but we, we've got to look at how – uh, we've got to look at some other gaps to fill. Let's talk about Anthony Casanzo. Can- C- just call him AC. See, I told you your last name was the only one I couldn't pronounce. Uh, but uh, but AC retires. That's going to create a huge domino fall for the Indianapolis Colts, and they're just going to have to actually basically forget about the quarterback situation. We got to we got to address his replacement. What do you think is going to happen with AC? And if he retires, what do the Colts do? I do think that, um, you know, I haven't really seen too much about where, uh, you know, Costanzo's leaning in terms of his, uh, you know, his retirement decision. Um, I do, I do think that uh, drafting a replacement would be a little bit challenging because, you know, that's such a pivotal spot of the offensive line that I feel like a veteran that isn't too old would be the the best served, uh, you know, replacement option in free agency, given that they have so much cap space. Uh, I feel like they would be able to pursue that route, maybe even a trade of some sort, uh, you know, for an uh, offensive lineman that isn't too old would be uh would be a good uh, option. Cause you know, you have to be careful with, uh, you know, acquiring um, players that are, you know, kind of getting up there in age because recently, uh, you know, when uh, uh, the Colts were still really patching up their offensive line, I felt like, some of those acquisitions that they made with like late round picks um, for veterans, uh, they didn't work out well at all. And, you know, the final product uh, being Andrew Luck getting beat up was definitely not, uh, is not 
really the type of risk that you're going for, uh, like a similar situation. So I think uh, trying to find stability through a proven commodity would probably be the best route. Well, we're just uh, a few short days away from the NFL Combine here in Indianapolis. Uh, we're going to enjoy it for another year or two. Uh, rumor has it they may end up in, in uh, L.A. I hope they stay in Indianapolis. But the NFL Combine, uh, or the uh, Underwear Olympics, as we like to call it, what are we looking for the Combine? We know two is not going to work out for the Combine. This is a big job interview, but this is also a, a – a lot behind the scenes, if you will, that doesn't get a lot of uh, well, doesn't get any press conference uh, press coverage for that matter. But one of the big components of the of the NFL Combine is the medical screening. How how are they healthy wise and the psychological stuff and a lot of stuff going behind uh, besides the fact of how fast how much their arches or how fast they they can run or their 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 forty meter dash speed or all that stuff that we see on the uh, on the NFL Network uh, during the coverage of the. Uh, NFL Combine here in Indianapolis, but it's also a time where where team owners come together. They talk about things. We've got a we've got a vote coming up with the with the CBA. Uh, we've got a, a proposal on the table for 17 games, neutral sites. I, that's not going to happen in 2020, but it could happen by 2023, especially with big TV contracts. Because really, that at the end of the day, that's what they're looking at. And part of this uh, uh, CBA thing is, hey, uh, if you're going to do 17 games, play at a neutral site, we want a little bit more uh, piece of the pie than what we're getting now as far as the, the Players Association. So round all that up for us over the next couple of days, what's going to be going on? Yeah, it sounds like um... – the uh, the NFL Players Association, uh, the board has to, uh, you know, they. I think I saw there was a recommendation, like a six to five recommendation, that they should not uh, adopt the new CBA. But um, uh, I think it'll probably won't pass, uh, given how you know players already kind of struggle to get through the sixteen games, and. Uh, I think adding another game makes it a little challenging, especially when, uh, you know, I, I don't know the thoughts of a lot of players on international or neutral site games, but I have a feeling that it's probably not the most favorable uh, perception that they hold of that. So having that extra game be a definitive uh, neutral site game, uh, I, I feel like that probably uh, isn't likely to, to go well with, with the players and with their, their association voting on it, I feel like they'll probably, uh, you know, send that one back to the drawing board. Grant, now, uh, to make sure that I got the right area. Are you at Arizona State? I am, yeah. Okay, that's what I want, I want to make sure. So, we'll give your, your chance to play the Homer card, to, to play the uh, the college card. Uh, we got March coming up, March Madness coming up. Uh, the you got the Oregon State Beavers uh, coming in at uh, fifteen and one. The Arizona uh, 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 Sun Devils got it. Arizona Sun Devils at eighteen and eight. Uh, what are your thoughts going into March uh, with Arizona State? I think this is probably the the best Arizona State basketball team that they've had in recent years. But I still think they'll they'll end up falling uh, short. I think their ceiling is probably like uh, I think at most around the thirty two. Um, you know they they have this weird habit of being able to beat like uh, <clears throat> like the number three team in the country early in the year and then uh, fall flat in the 
you know, towards the conference tournament and then ultimately lose uh, in the in the first round. So I feel like they'll be a little bit better than that, but they they're not going to be able to really uh, go go far. I, I'd be happy to be proven uh, otherwise, but I feel like round of 32 is probably their uh, what what they're looking at. Yeah, and then IU might be there too. Real quickly, I because I know you do a lot of Indiana sports coverage. Uh, what are your thoughts about the return of Bobby Knight to Bloomington uh, a couple of weeks ago? I think it's definitely great to you know to have him back in the building. I think uh, you know uh, it, it's it was uh, I feel like too long, uh, and I think it's good that he was able to get there uh, at some point. Um, you know, it's cool. Uh, for a lot of people, you know, to be able to, you know, reminisce on, uh, you know, those uh, successful teams from years ago and having him in the building definitely helps being able to do that. Uh, you know, just interesting to think about, uh, you know, I don't know many colleges uh, that are that passionate about basketball that would be able to really, uh, you know, tell you about a coach uh, from uh, so long ago, like uh, some of the students at IU now, like I know if it was Arizona State, uh, they wouldn't be able to tell you uh, the coach that they had uh, before Bobby Hurley. Yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, Grant Afseth, g- give me a – okay, say, say it for me. Grant Af- Afseth? Yeah, Afseth, yeah. All right, all right. We'll end it with a final note. Grant, uh, appreciate you getting up early. I know you're a college student out there at Arizona State. Up-and-coming sports writer. Uh, you can catch his work at IndieSportsCoverage.com, uh, the Kokomo Tribune, uh, any place else. Yeah, can people find your work at Masterpieces? Where can people find you on the on the Twitter? Yeah, that, those are definitely the uh, the main spot for sure. The IndianaSportsCoverage.com and the uh, the Kokomo Tribune. All right, Grant. Well, go back to bed, man. I appreciate you getting up with us this morning. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate. All right, it. All right buddy. You have yourself a good weekend. Grant. Uh, <laughs> He's great to have on. Great guest. I'm going to tell you what. Go check out his work at IndianaSportsCoverage.com or Kokomo Tribune. Guy is definitely an up and coming, uh, up and coming sports writer that you definitely want to to keep your eyes on. Uh, appreciate Matthew Embry, WSVT up in South Bend, joining us today, talking about the IndyCar funny season. We know now where James Hinchcliffe is going to ride for the Indianapolis 500, the Grand Prix in Texas, and. That's with, with Andretti, a team that he's very uh, familiar with. Thank you to Matthew Hicks, the other Matthew of the show today, uh, helping us play the Homer card with Indianapolis Colts and and uh, the quarterback situation, or the twists and turns with that, a little bit of uh, NFL uh, combine. He also talks from Daytona with us. And uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, breaking down that horrific rack with uh, Ryan Newman. And Daytona is so glad that he's okay. Uh, we'll see what his future holds, uh, but certainly the the race goes on, if you will, in Vegas today and tomorrow. The truck race last night, and then thank you to Grant Asseth, uh from uh, the Kokomo Tribune and IndianaSportsCoverage.com, uh, college student out of Arizona State, uh, up and coming sports writer. Check out his his work as well. My name is Tom Marcos, now President. Always good, always good to. Uh, ha- make sure you're following us on on the Twitter at T Balance, and uh, make sure that uh, you're following us on Facebook as well. We try to get as much stuff posted on there as as we possibly can, and uh, we do this thing called the Balance every Saturday morning. So so glad that you're there. If you listen to the podcast, hit like, appreciate it, and uh, make sure that you share with all your friends, neighbors, relatives, enemies. 
all, all that. We're, we're all one loving community in the world of sports. Don't drink and drive. It ain't cool. My name is Tom Marquis. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.